Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Luke chapter 1. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Verse 35. I hope you're looking forward to lunch. I hope the preacher doesn't preach long. We're going to have a great lasagna dinner. I encourage you to be there. Visitors, we always have a hospitality room for you. We would like you to meet our pastor. Where's Pastor Steve? I saw him earlier. Well, he'll meet you back in hospitality. Just go down the hall and on your right, we have some snacks for you. We'd like to take the time to get to know you. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son or the flesh of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a child in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be Impossible. For your information, historians tell us that Elizabeth, though a cousin, was 88. We know that Mary was under 18. And God was showing off that he works with the young, he works with the old, he works with the possible, and he works with the impossible. And today I'm going to preach a subject called, Don't Forget the God Factor. Don't Forget the God Factor. You may be seated. I've asked Brother Gerbing, he had a traumatic experience, and I've asked him to share a little bit of that with you today. So, Brother Gerbing. Praise the Lord. Few of you may know, but some of you do not. Um, so last Friday, I was driving home from work, um, and we live off over a very windy road, road, uh, County F, uh, Highway F. And as I was driving, um, as I was coming up to an area where it is very, very windy, there was a car that passed, actually came on the center lane, crossed the center lane, heading directly towards me. And quick thought basically is either I'm going to hit him head on or I'm going to go into the ditch. So I went into the ditch and as I went down into the ditch, it happened to be a driveway there. So as I hit the driveway, my car literally flew in the air, came down, rolled in the dirt, ran on back onto the road and landed back on my four tires. And I kept on driving just so I know everybody's like, what? You kept on driving? Well, I'm like... I need to get off the road because otherwise I'm going to cause more 
And, you know, and so I went to the side. There happened to be a road right there. And I'm telling you, literally, God picked up my car because I said, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm telling you today, if you need a God that can do anything, he can do it. Because I'm telling you, I don't know how I came out of that with literally a scratch on my arm. But I did because God is awesome. And he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Chad. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace. How many times have we been spared? It's brought us through. For For as high high as the the heavens above, great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. So think about His love. Think about His goodness. Think about His grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Praise God. Let's thank the Lord one more time for his many blessings. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Whether you're 88 years old and barren, or under 18 and without a husband, if you're in God's perfect will, God can do what man cannot. Luke chapter 14 talks about the building of a house. Which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he had laid the foundation he's not able to finish it. And behold, it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and he was not able to finish If you were going to build a home, what would you do? Where would you begin? Sure, you'd think about a lot and you'd think about a builder, but I mean, from a financial standpoint, there'd have to be a lot of thought put into this. How much can I afford? What will my taxes be? What about insurance and appliances? What about maintenance? What about things that break down that need to be replaced? How am I going to be able to afford all of this? What is the summation of the package of building a house? Because it's not just a mortgage payment. Can I get an amen to that? There's a whole lot more to a house than just that. What would the utilities be? So we sit down being a good steward, trying to be 
practical and reasonable, and we calculate all of this, and we say, this is what I believe it will cost. Now, this is my opinion, but I believe that's the wrong way to go about building a house. I believe I need to sit down first and figure out what I can afford before I try and build something that I can't afford and puts me in a bad situation. Now you say, well, why did you choose this particular subject? Because you may not be aware of it, but we must always understand that the most important factor in anything that we calculate is the God factor. The God factor. Is it God's will? And what can I afford? And I'll trust God with the rest. Did you know that Jesus talked about one subject more than any other subject in the Gospels? And it was money. Because money reveals a lot about us. I've given you this formula before, but I still think it's a good formula, so I'm going to share it with you again. There are two things that all of us have and reveal a lot about our character. We all have time. When somebody says to you they don't have time, what they're saying is it's not a high enough priority for me to give my time to. We all have 168 hours in a week. All of us. 168 hours. And here's the formula. The way we spend our time reveals our priorities. The way we spend our money reveals our values. So time reveals our priorities and money reveals our values. Let's take a look at the importance of finance. Malachi chapter three. Now I've I've talked to you about a practical thing like a house, but I wanna give you the God factor even in our financial decisions that we make. Malachi chapter three, I'm just reading here in verse 10, tells us to bring all the tithes, that means 10%, into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And... I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. The God factor in all of your finances is to put him first. Now, Preacher, you you need to stay away from that subject. No, we need to face the things head on in our life that are important. It's the responsibility of the ministry to share with you all of the word of God, even the parts we don't like. 
But we can sit down, here's my point, we can sit down and we can calculate, can I afford this automobile? Can I afford this home? What can I afford for this and what can I afford for that? But if we don't put God first, we have left out the God factor. And the God factor is the most important factor of all. When my wife and I first came into the church and we heard about tithing, oh my goodness. I thought, we're 33% below water on our budget already. How do you put God first? But I remember the pastor's wife saying to me, how's your plan working? Maybe you ought to try God's plan. Hey, when you're 33% below, what do you got to lose? So we did. I found that if you put God first, your money will last. He said here that even the fruit of your field wouldn't go bad before it's time. He'll, I believe, now this is me, I believe God takes care of my car. I believe it lasts better, runs longer, because God's hand is on it. I believe my appliances last longer. They're not eternal. I need to maintain them. I need to be a good steward. But I believe God's got his hand on what he gives me. <clears throat> and that the God factor is what carries me through. Now you can take the testimony of Chad Gerbing today and you can say a guy comes across the yellow line and you gotta make a decision, head on or the ditch. And you make your decision based on your knowledge and in a split second decision. But the God factor is that God spares you. God keeps you, brings you back to the road safe and sound. That's the God factor. Good judgment, good driving, yes. But where's the God factor? In the things that we don't control, that we don't have power over. Do you know any one of us could leave here today? Drive out onto Highway 18, somebody could have a stroke or a heart attack, no fault of their own, and in a split second be in your lane with no time for you to react. And then it becomes the God factor. Not your skills in driving, but the God factor. If we put God first, our money will last. Luke chapter 14. Will I be able to finish what I start? Luke 14, 31. What king going to war against another king wouldn't sit down first and consult whether he'd be able with 10,000, remember that figure, to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? If you're gonna go to war, aren't you going to do some calculating? Aren't you gonna have a strategy? I mean, are you just angry? Or are you gonna think this through? I wanna give you some examples today of people that calculated but recognized the God factor. I wanna start with a man by the name of Gideon. Gideon is behind his 
barn trying to hide things, the little that is the people are stealing from him, I believe the Midianites, and so he's hiding back there and trying to find places to hide things, and an angel appears to him and says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a courageous, brave man, and God is going to use you. And he gave his arguments, and I'm not going to take the time to go through that and fleecing and all of that stuff. I'm not going through any of that. He just said, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. So follow carefully my instructions. Yes, sir. I want you to stand before Israel and tell them that I'm going to use you to lead them into battle and I'm going to give them victory. There are a million of them, and so I'm asking you to ask every man in Israel to stand up and fight with you. You know how many stood up with him? 32,000. Sounds like a pretty good number. But if you've got a million and they've only got 32, you're outnumbered over 30 to 1. Those are not good odds to begin with. This would not be a good strategy. But Gideon is going to follow God's counsel. And so they're marching toward their enemy and God says, stop. I want you to stand before the 32,000 and I want you to make this declaration. If any of you are afraid and you want to go home for any reason, you can go. 22,000 left and only 10,000 remained. What if you were Gideon? How would you feel? You were already outnumbered over 30 to 1. Now you only got 10,000 men left. You're poorly equipped. You're going solely upon what God has asked you to do. You're certainly not able to see with your eyes what God is doing. But he tells you to push on. And in the heat of the day, after all of your marching, he finally leads you to a brook and he says, tell the men that they can go get a drink of water. They're already in enemy territory, but tell them to go get a drink. And so they jump into the water, splash around, put water all over themselves, drink as fast as they can. And God says, Gideon, look at the men that are in the water and notice the ones that are on one knee with their heads up looking for the enemy and taking a hand and lapping water to their mouth like a dog while they watch for their enemy. I'm going to give you those men for this victory. The rest of them can be dismissed. 9,700 men leave the battlefield and 300 are left. 300 men against a million-man army. How brave would you be with those odds? You have no Gatling gun. You have no military arsenal. But God says he's going to do it. He's going to show you the God factor which you have failed to calculate 
even with the 32, much less the 10 or even the 300. And he says, get in. Spread the men around the mountain in which the enemy lives and is camped. Give them each, and this is what Gideon was waiting for, a pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet. What good is that? A pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet. And you tell them that when you break your pitcher, they are to break theirs. When you light your torch, they are to light their torch. When, they, when you blow your trumpet, they are to blow their trumpets. And to say, the sword of the Lord, the sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. And so they do it. Crazy as it sounds. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God moves inside of the valley, and the enemy panics and begins to kill themselves. Because the God factor was taking over where the arm of man could not go. What man could not do, God did. God windled their army down because he didn't want them to trust in themselves or their own abilities or strengths. I think that God every once in a while wants to show off in our lives and uses the circumstances that we're in to prove to us and to them that he is a great God and able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think. He thrives in those situations. He's at his best when he's outnumbered. And we know that the God factor is that he is never outnumbered. His strategies only bring him glory and prove his great love and strength for his people. Jericho, a fortified city, walls so thick that people have chariot races on the top of them. No way you're gonna penetrate this city. And God says, this is the first city you will take. What a great military strategy God comes up with for this one. Just walk around the city. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Just walk around the city once a day, every day, for six days. Do you know what happened when they walked around the city every day? Insults were hurled at them. Garbage and tomatoes were thrown at them. Things were poured over the wall. They were told how feeble and weak they were. And they did it every day until the seventh time on the seventh day. And then Joshua said, now shout for the Lord has given you the city. And their fortress collapsed without one hand from man. Because God was showing that he can do anything. 
for his people. And that he is the final factor in every decision that we make, in every situation that we face. Because here's what I, and I am as guilty as the next person. So I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes we only rely on our abilities and resources. And we come up short and that's when fear begins to grip us. But the problem is we have not included the God factor. You can calculate all the facts you want. Well, the fact of the matter is this and this and this and this. But where's the fact that God is for us? That we are his children. We are the sheep of his pasture. Where's that fact in our equation? Because that is the overriding factor in everything that we face. Everything. One last example. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you. I'm preaching to you today. You're Jehoshaphat. And so am I. Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Listen, the battle is not yours, but God's. Did you hear it? This is not your battle. Tomorrow, Here's my plan. Go down against them. Behold, they will come up the cliff of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not, everybody said not. You will not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go against them, for the Lord will be with you. That, my friend, is the God factor. I'm not alone. I'm never alone. Well, I don't see anybody with you. Well, I don't either, but I know what God's word says. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No, not to the end of the world. Never, never. So don't trust in only what you can see. I'll throw this in, it's not in my notes. But the servant of God came to the man of God one day and he said, the enemy has us surrounded. And he was right. They finally surrounded the man of God and his servant. And do you know what the man of God said? He said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant and let him see what I see. 
And the Lord opened the eyes of his servant. And the mountains were filled with chariots of fire and an angel on each and every one of them. It was the enemy that was surrounded, not the man of God. The enemy was surrounded and the servant of God got to see it. I want you to know, you may not have saw God today, but you felt God's presence. And because of his word, he is obligated to inhabit the praises of his people, whether you see him or not, whether you feel him or not, he is an ever-present help in a time of need. He's always there. Wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am. I'm there. I can't see you. Doesn't matter. I'm there. That's the God factor in your life. Stand still. Just here's, your, here's what you got to do tomorrow, guys. Here's my plan for you. Set yourself. Put your legs as far apart as your shoulders are. That's setting yourself. Just stand still. Don't do anything. Don't take a bow and arrow with you, a slingshot or a sword. Don't do any of that. Just set yourself, stand still, and see what I'm about to do. That's all you have to do. Look what Jehoshaphat did, though. He went and did something that I believe God was pleased with. He consulted with the people and he appointed singers. This is verse 21 of 2 Chronicles 20. He appointed singers unto the Lord that they would praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, and we're still saying it today, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come up against Judah, and they were smitten. Wow. The God factor. The God factor. Worship and praise released God's wrath on their enemies, and he handled it for them. Do you know one of the most powerful things you can do is pray. Acknowledge that when you factor your abilities into what's needed to get the job done, you're short. You don't have enough. You're not able. But with God, God, I need you. Get rid of your pride. Get rid of your factoring. And get the God factor brought into your life. That I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can't do it without Christ and without his strength. But I can with. And when you get done praying, don't forget to worship. Don't forget to praise. Don't forget to thank him. Don't forget to acknowledge the God factor. You got this. I like Brother Dredska taught me a valuable lesson. 
few weeks back. He said, you know, I hear people say to me, Chief, I got this. And what they're saying to me is, Chief, I don't need your help. I don't need anybody else's help. I can do this all by myself. So I'm trying to be very careful to never say, I got this. I know what my limitations are. I know who I am without God. But I also know who I am to God and who God is to me. And that's what takes me across the finish line. That's the God factor that gives me the victory. That's what gives me the victory. Do you know that even the, even the plan of salvation is really the God factor? I want to make you think for a minute here. I'm almost done. You know, if, if just trying to be a good person is enough to save me, then we certainly don't need Calvary. Jesus doesn't need to come and die because I'm good enough without Calvary. And if I'm good enough without Calvary, well, then there's probably others that are good enough without Calvary. But the fact, and that's the root word of factor, by the way, the fact is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. He took our place. That is the God factor. Calvary, his sacrifice, his shed blood. What makes you worthy? Not your works, his works. Not my blood, not my sacrifice, his blood. And his sacrifice is what makes me worthy. Acts chapter two, verse 36. Peter points out the sin of people. He's he's speaking to Israelites. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. How would you feel if somebody came up and put their finger in your face? I could get away with this with Brother Meyer. Put their finger in your face and said, You're the one responsible for Jesus dying on the cross. It's your fault. How would you feel then? Two things. There are only two options. Two options. Either you would be so angry that you'd be willing to take a swing at him, or you would be so pricked in your heart, so convicted of your sin, that you'd ask, if there was any hope for you. And based upon your previous track record, if you get what you've deserved, you are surely lost. But they asked it. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, 2 and 37. 
And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, You need to repent. Let me tell you what repentance is. Repentance is acknowledging the sin of your life. Not to a preacher, not to a brother and sister in Christ, but to God. Acknowledging who you are and what you've done and determining that you don't want to live that way anymore. And you change your course 180 degrees to go after God. It's sorrow, but it's change. Do you know that repentance is really a gift? It is. Look at Romans 2 and 4. Do you despise the riches and the goodness and the forbearance and long-suffering, knowing, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The goodness of God. Now, for those of you that have been in the church for a while, I'm going to ask you this question, and, and I already know the answer, but I want you to know it. Do you remember when you felt bad about your sinful life? How guilty you felt? How ashamed you were? How you came to an altar thinking, I could never be what God wants me to be. I have failed so miserably. My life is such a mess. I have nobody to blame but myself. Do you remember those days? And, and you came to an altar and you wept and you told God what he already knew and you, to, you told him how sorry you were and, and how you were willing to, to change. Do you remember God's reaction or response to that? How the love of God came over you? how you felt the mercy of God. Do you remember that? How good it felt to know that Jesus still loved you and he was willing to forgive you and give you another chance. That's the goodness and the mercy of God. That's the God factor. People that don't repent have not fully experienced the God factor the mercy of God. And be baptized, he said, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's the God factor. Well, you know, baptism is just an outward sign of an inward works. I'm looking for that verse of scripture. I've never found that. Baptism is not an outward sign of an inward work. It's the washing away. It's the remission of my sins in the waters of baptism representing his blood. That's the God factor. I don't have to carry my sins around with me the rest of my life. What a gift. Somebody say amen. And you shall receive after repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name. He says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I know you can't live this on your own. I know you don't have strength by yourself to be an overcomer. I remember when I first came into the church and I, I looked at all you guys clapping your hands and worshiping God and I thought, I can never be like that. 
holy, oh, you look so nice, and you're so kind, and good to one another, and you love God so much. I can't be like that. I'm not that good. You don't get good to get God. You get God, and he makes you good. To God be the glory. That's the God factor. It's not you perfecting yourself. It's not you earning mercy and grace. It's you coming and asking for it. I think I've made my point. Let's stand together. I remember when I was diagnosed with cancer, I listened to doctors for days telling me what was going to happen, what I was going to have to go through. Chemo, radiation, wear a bag, have a surgery, unless we find it other places. Brother Thorpe, my brother in Christ, went through the same thing. But they never told me the most important thing. They never gave me the God factor. They never told me that God could deliver me of cancer. He could just walk right up and say, oh, that's my God. I don't care what your illness, it's an incurable disease, you're stage four, you're stage five, you, there's nothing that, may, that's just what God loves to hear. Just tell God he can't. He'll show you he can. He'll show you he will. Jesus, I pray today, wherever we are in our walk with God, or if we haven't even begun our walk with God, when we calculate things and we use our human reasoning and our human resources and abilities, help us, oh God, not to forget the most important thing, the God factor. Where are you in this? What do you want us to do? It's not our battle, it's your battle. It's not for our glory, it's for your glory. Show off, Lord, in our lives. Help us, oh God, to reach out and declare that without you, we are nothing. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.